This podcast is sponsored by GCK Consulting, a next generation political consulting firm. From fundraising to polling to campaign strategy, GCK is helping get millennials elected all across the country. To learn more about GCK and their services, just go to gckconsults.com. Again, that's gckconsults.com. All right, now to the podcast. Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Valerie. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Today, I'm joined by Anne Arundel County Executive Stuart Pittman. Thanks for coming on and congrats on winning your election. Thank you. Yeah, of course. So what exactly is a county executive and why does the position matter to millennials? It's like being a mayor of a city, except it's a county. So the county executive is in charge of all the administrative branches of government. So we have a county council that that writes the laws for the county. The county executive oversees the Department of Education, which is all the schools, public safety, police and fire, social services, roads, everything. You know, everything that government does at the local level. Millennials are part of that. (laughs) And could you tell us a little bit about the campaign? Uh, What drove you to jump into this race? So I'm 57 years old. I grew up in this area, eight generations on a family farm in uh, the southern part of the county. um, I've actually made my living farming, training horses, selling horses for most of the last 20 years. But my first nine years after college, I went to the University of Chicago working as a community organizer. I started out in Chicago um, working uh, on the west side and then the south side in public housing project, uh, organizing residents, um, standing up to the Chicago Housing Authority, trying to get repairs done, going up against uh, hazardous waste dump uh, outside a neighborhood. Really got uh, hooked by this idea that when citizens organize, they can really impact what local government is doing. Um, so I went to Des Moines, Iowa, and I did that work for six years there. And then I came back home when my daughter was born wanting to be closer to family, did uh, same kind of work for the the National Low-Income Housing Coalition, and then um, for ACORN advising 26 offices and how to conduct these grassroots campaigns and and win. So I left all that to make a living on the farm, but I always felt as though there was something pulling at me saying, you're going to get back to social justice work, Stuart. You just don't know how and when. And then Donald Trump got elected, and I and many other people felt that they had to get more engaged in civic life. And I have, uh, you know, I have a daughter who's now 28. I have nine-year-old twin boys. I have a dozen uh, nieces, all nieces, no nephews, um, who are in their 20s and, and early 30s. And I just felt like, wow, I've got probably 20 good years of working life left. I need to do something, you know, to make this a better place and to make sure that our future is is worth living. And so um, I jumped into this as a complete novice. Um, You know, it's the highest position in the county. Everybody thought I was nuts. First, I thought about running for county council, but but uh, there was an incumbent Republican in this race who I thought was vulnerable because he he had gone very far to the right. He had also kind of aligned himself with development interests. People want to preserve open space in this county, and 
And uh, I talked to a bunch of people. They thought I, I was the right person to take him on. And um, nobody thought we'd win, but we did. And how exactly can you further the cause of social justice as county executive? Lots and lots and lots of ways. Um, for instance, this morning, I got up, I rode public transportation from uh, one part of the county to another, Annapolis, starting out in a um, low-income housing um, uh, development that's here where a lot of people don't have cars. And I rode public transit uh, to a part of the county where there are jobs that takes about 20 minutes to drive. And it took two hours and 20 minutes to get there going from bus to bus. Uh, and I did that with a group of people who were trying to show me how bad public transportation is in this county and that we need to do something about it. So I had met with our Department of Transportation the day before about plans to expand transit service in our county. And now I know exactly how bad it is. Then we went from there to an organization that provides um, housing and services to homeless people in our county and heard about the problems that they're having and the need. Uh, then I went to another neighborhood uh, and took a tour uh, and looked at the way that development interests have been basically destroying the environment uh, because they've been allowed to build in places that we thought we were going to preserve. Um, so, I mean, just in one morning, that was three <laughs> three areas that need need a lot of attention, and all of which are social justice issues. So, how exactly does county government interact with state government, and how would how are you going to manage that? Given that your state just reelected your Republican governor, we have in in Maryland, we have. Democratic majority in um, both sides of the legislature, uh, House and Senate, uh, by, by a large margin. Governor Hogan is, is a governor who, he lives in our county, which is convenient. He sells himself as a moderate Republican and, and takes pride in that. And that's been the way that he, he got elected. He got uh, something like 75% of the vote in this county. So a lot of the people who voted for me voted for Larry Hogan. He's a reasonable guy. And so you go to the governor and you say, here's what we need and, and uh, here's where we work together. And it helps him and it helps me to, to be somebody in politics who can reach across the aisle. And because I'm a county executive, I'm not a, a legislator who has to work with the team uh, to, to rally the votes to get a bill passed. I have a little bit more freedom to be able to do things that are unconventional and, and I, don't have to, I don't have to play the partisan game the way you do when you're, um, when you're a member of a legislative body. Hey everyone, I'm Nathan. And I'm Dylan. And as you know, Millennial Politics is totally independent and volunteer run. That means every podcast you listen to, every article you read, and every tweet you see is created by a dedicated team of volunteers. It also means that we can say what we want to say when we want to say it, but we rely on listeners just like you to support our work. We hope you'll consider supporting us by subscribing at patreon.com slash millenpolitics. Every dollar will go directly towards our mission of shining a spotlight on progressive candidates, causes, and organizations. And if you subscribe at the ambassador level or more, we'll send you a free copy of How Our Government Really Works Despite What They Say. It's an award-winning book about the intricacies of American government, and you'll get to join our exclusive ambassador Slack channel and get to hang out with us all day, every day, 
I pretty much live there. So if that appeals to you, come join us. And we want to give a very special shout out to our executive producer, Greg Stevens, and our producers, Brad Tracy and Renee Garcia-Brown. Again, if you want to continue hearing interviews and conversations just like this one, we hope you'll visit patreon.com slash millenpolitics. That's patreon.com slash M-I-L-L-E-N politics and join the movement. All right, now back to the show. And government transparency was one of your big campaign pledges. How are you making that a reality? We have a history in our county of corruption. We've had two county executives go to jail. And the most recent county executive was not corrupt, uh, but he was also not particularly transparent in the way he did things. And it frustrated people. People wanted to engage, community groups wanted to engage more with government, have more influence, have a seat at the table. What we needed to do, and I believe this very much as an ex-community organizer, is that if people have the information in a way that they can digest, they can access online about how much things cost in government, about what goals have been set in your community to make improvements and what the status is on those goals, what outcomes the departments of government are creating. So, you know, it's great to say we have a program for, um, you know, helping with people's housing or health, but we have to be able to show how many people are actually participating in the program and benefiting from the program and that, you know, the outcomes are, are, are changing and improving. So data, it's all about data. So I hired as our chief administrative officer, which is the guy who oversees each department, coordinates all that, somebody from a neighboring county, Prince George's County, who had created the county stat program where they work with every department of government and they figure out what kinds of information can measure progress and make sure that that information is online where citizens can access it. And the next thing you know, you're being transparent. Open government is what some people refer to it as. People can monitor progress, and then they feel better about what government is doing. They know where the problems are. Or when they come testify uh, at a hearing, they have really good information, and they're more informed. And so the, the level of the conversation becomes much higher, more constructive. So it's a whole trend in government that uh, data-driven decision-making and, and open government that more progressive counties and cities are doing, we're going to put together a much more robust information technology department and and do exactly that. And what are you hoping to do to stay engaged with your community as your schedule fills up? Well, I'm going to make sure that my schedule includes things like this morning where I was out with uh, two different community organizations um, experiencing what they experience in the communities. We're also going to do, we did during the campaign, 16 community forums. There, the, the county was divided into 16 small areas for planning purposes, for the general development plan, for land use. Um, that was done in the early 2000s, and then they stopped doing it. We're going to bring that back, and um, we're going to be doing another 16 meetings. We're also going to be doing, in our budget, which we have to produce by May 1st, we're going to be doing public hearings that engage residents and invite them to come out and argue over how we should spend our money and where we should get it from. And, and we'll, be, you know, we'll be encouraging all the departments, county government, to do the same. 
to be out in the communities listening. We have a really exciting part of that too that I just want to throw out there is it's called Arundel TV. We have a TV station. It's it's just cable, but it's got a studio and staff and equipment, and it's open for use by the public. It's not used all that much because nowadays, you know, when they do public access TV, they require that. But now people have their own equipment on their iPhones and or their you know smartphones, and they can produce videos that way. So. But we have the we have the capacity to have production teams out in neighborhoods uh, recording what's going on and putting on good stuff that we can can get on cable, but also share online and really tell the stories about what's going on in our communities. So that's going to be, um, I think, a way to engage people as well. And how do you hope to keep millennials engaged in state and local government? What do you say to folks who aren't necessarily sure why it matters? I think millennials know it matters. The question is, and this is true for everybody, but on the one hand, I think maybe millennials are more cynical, but on the other hand, I think also more hopeful because the younger you are, the more of your life is before you and you have a lot at stake and so what I found in our campaign was that some of our our best organizers are our most passionate campaign workers were younger people. For for one, they know how to access information online better than people who didn't grow up with the technology. And I've just found that there's a lot of energy that millennials have that some of the older folks the older folks care but they're a little bit jaded. We don't have to convince millennials that politics matters, I don't think. They know that already. The question is whether you know, whether we give people an opportunity to engage in the process and, uh, and realize that they can have real power if enough people come together and organize. But it's always been that way. That's how uh, you know, change is made um, by people coming together and organizing. And uh, every generation has to learn it and every good generation has to do it. And lastly, where can folks find you online and how can they stay engaged? That's a good question because we're just transitioning from our campaign platforms to government platforms. So our, our website is pitmanforpeople.com. Uh, our transition committee created something at pitmantransition.com uh, for people to actually send We've had about 1,400 people send us their ideas for what we ought to be doing. But now we have, um, you know, interrentalcounty.org, aacounty.org, sorry, where all of the government information is. And that's gradually becoming a little bit more um, inviting. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today and telling us about your job. Thank you. Yeah, it's a great job, I think. Check back with me in a year. Yeah, we'd love to. And to our listeners, if you want to hear more interviews with great candidates and office holders like Stuart, make sure to follow Millennial Politics on social media, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and tune into the Progressive Radio Network every week at 8 p.m. Eastern to hear our newest episodes. Thanks for listening.